Good morning, Cornerstone. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, how many of you took advantage of the, ex- or the, not take advantage, but anticipated the loss of the hour, slept a little early? Very few of you. How many of you stayed up later than normal? Um, well, either way, I'm glad that you're here. And even in that decision of whether to stay up or not, I think on a daily basis and even a moment-by-moment basis, we're asking this one question over and over, um, which ironically, if I were to ask you directly, a lot of you would not know how to answer it. I think a lot of us make choices, small choices, big choices, based on this question. I think this question dictates what we do, who we do it with, why we do it. Don't you want to know this question? (laughs) I think this question is, how do I experience more joy in my life? What will give me maximum joy? So for some of you who played a little bit extra last night, you said, playing right now is going to give me a little bit more joy than the loss of one hour of sleep. Uh, Some of you grieved that great loss this morning. Your alarm went off. And your choice to hit the snooze was because you wanted maximum joy in sleep. Every single person here had to wake up and decide what to wear. And it seems like a neutral thing, but I think it's a very spiritual thing. You decided what would bring you joy. Is it going to be your comfort? I care about my comfort in sitting at church. Or is it about how others look at me, how I feel about myself? It's about joy. Some of you woke up and got breakfast, got coffee. Your choice in the menu was about joy, not about an arbitrary uh, decision on what to put in your body. It's less about what you want to fill yourself up with, but the experience of joy. A lot of you walked into this auditorium. Choosing your seat was about joy. Where am I going to receive? Where am I going to hear from God? Where, uh, who am I going to sit around? so that I can experience joy. And after service, you'll experience the two hardest questions of the day, right? What do I eat for lunch, and who do I go with? And I think that's why we loiter. If it were an insignificant uh, decision that we had to make, we would just go out, make a decision. But we want to be careful. If I choose this restaurant, that person might not want to go. Uh, who do I invite? If I invite this person, then I have to invite that person. If I don't invite that person, I might get into conflict, right? Even at a macro level, don't we want joy in our lives, in our careers, our studies, our relationships? We often get stuck or lost because we don't know where to find this joy. So often this joy seems to elude us. We're chasing after it. We finish class or work on Friday And we feel like joy was nowhere to be found this week. And there are seasons in life where it just feels like over and over, where is joy going to come from? Uh, Last week, we started this series called Fast. And that beautiful, beautiful subtitle, Giving Up the World to Gain Jesus. And that word, fast, uh, is kind of an intentional wordplay. The original, the etymology of fast is to remain fixed, to be fixed firmly. When we look at the the word fast, maybe from a religious context, all we think about is abstaining and, and suffering and giving up things. 
But what we want is for everyone here, everyone at Cornerstone, to be fixed firmly in the Lord. In our search for more joy, we're looking to see what God says about joy through this series. We want to know what is this joy? How do we experience it? Where do we find it? And over and over, I hope you hear the same themes throughout Lent. That the greatest possible joy in this life is only, only found in and through Jesus Christ. We want to uncover that joy. We want to cherish that joy. We want to appreciate that joy. And for some of you who've never experienced that joy, to experience it for the first time and claim him as your Lord, your Savior. So today we want to look at uh, a passage in 1 John. It's towards the end of your Bible, if you have a physical Bible. Uh, So as you turn there, 1 John was written to help believers experience greater joy. Uh, In the first chapter, he says, I write these things to make your joy complete. And this joy is completed. It happens. It's experienced through faith, obedience, and love. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can look uh, with me on the screen. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we continue. God, we come before you, and even in that brief moment, as Bo uh, kind of led us to reflect, even in those 10 seconds, we come before you, we went before you in a desire for more joy. And uh, this service, we pray that it would be encapsulated by heavenly joy. We pray that the preaching of the word through me, a finite person, would be supremely clear that it's about joy. We thank you that you were so committed to our joy that you sent Jesus for our sake, that we would have access to that joy. We could say that joy is our joy and that we could share that joy to others. So, Lord, that's what we want. We want to walk out of this place, even with one hour less of sleep, with more joy. That is our desire. We pray for the Spirit to help us experience that joy in Christ and through Christ. We thank you so much. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there is only one command in these three verses, and it's in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. John commands us to not love the world. It's pretty clear. John started his letter saying that he wants to make your joy, the the reader's joy, complete. But he gives us this negative command, right? He gives us a prohibition. He says, Don't love the world or the things in the world. And that's where we have to stop and think there's something about joy that is going to cost us something, that we're going to have to give up something in order to experience at least the joy that God offers to us. So every don't in the Bible is not to make your life 
harder or make you suffer. It's don't because there's something far better in store for you. So what does John mean when he says don't love the world? In the context of of this letter, the world is referring to the systems, the structures, the practices, the attitudes that are opposed to God. So the world is anything that is contradictory to God and his commands. And it, it comes out clearer in the rest of verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love for the world and love for God are mutually exclusive. They can't coexist. They cannot happen in the same heart. It's either you love the world or you love God. Even in James 4.4, 4, it says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? It's rebellion. It's hatred towards God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? What does that mean to love the world, right? What does that look like? I think it could look like focusing more on the physical things in our lives than the spiritual things. I think it's maybe spending more time, energy, and resources into created things. It's caring more about human approval than God's approval. It's having an attitude or posture of self-gain or self-sufficiency and so on. There's so many different examples. But this morning, as we look at this passage, I want to look at two reasons, two dangerous reasons why we must not love the world. The first reason, the world will never, will never satisfy us. The world will never satisfy us. That's why we can't love the world. In verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions. So John starts to give us examples of what is in the world. These things are not from the Father, but is from the world. And that word desire in verse 16 can actually be also translated as craving. And in some Bible translations, it'll say lust. It has this meaning of excessive desire, over-desire. Uh, it's sometimes used for describing something that is forbidden but wanted. So when John says the desires of the flesh, these are cravings of our physical bodies. You know, for example, there's food, right? Food is a natural craving of our physical bodies. If we were not physical beings, we would not get hungry. And Jesus himself had that desire. It just never became excessive desire. Comfort, even sex, good things. But when we over-desire them, that is not from the Father. That is of the world. So the problem in, you know, the desires of the flesh is that we desire these objects much more than God designed them to be. And that is why I think God says it's excessive. It's out of bounds. It's not from the Father. It's not his purpose. It's his design. The the desires of the eyes. Uh, Some people will say the eyes are the windows to your heart. And don't you all, like, see something and start to want it? You know, like, window shopping seems, like, so innocent. Online shopping seems so innocent because you don't actually click on submit order. You add things to the cart, and then you delete them all because you feel bad. But the eyes are the windows of the heart. And through the eyes, 
what happens is that you consume. You remember things. You start to want things. Jealousy and coveting and greed happen as a result of over-desiring with your eyes. It's through your eyes. You develop an appetite and you say, oh, I want that. I want that. And that last phrase, the pride in possessions, it's, it's this idea of being arrogant, so being on top, above others, based on your possessions. You're, you're feeling secure, you're feeling strong, you're feeling confident based on what you own, what you can see with your eyes. And that word possessions, it's actually the word bios, so life, the stuff of life. You have pride based on that, you have arrogance based on that. We probably don't want to admit it, but we are more worldly than we think we are because we all love something. You love what you notice, you notice what you love. If you love something, you don't merely pay attention, you notice the nuances of it. Um, Some of you are into fashion, so you'll notice when one of your friends gets a new shirt, new pair of shoes, a new haircut. Some of you live to eat, You know all the trends in Boston, these new restaurants that pop up. Even today, I was sitting right there. The brother next to me, I should have introduced myself, he's wearing a pair of Nike Hirachis, which are one of my favorite shoes. And they're in a sick color. (laughs) Like, other people would care less about it, right? You notice the nuances because you love it. Love for the world. Uh, my wife and I, a couple years back, actually almost two years ago, we bought a new, new car, uh, 2015 Honda CRV. That picture was taken the day I drove off the lot. So I was so giddy. Like, I didn't care who was around. I pulled out my phone, took a picture of the new car. And just so ecstatic. First time uh, buying a, a brand new car. I've just had used cars uh, for most of my life. And a lot of you know, every year a new version of the car comes out. Every year. Last year was okay, but I don't know why, but 2017, it was a a different model. And I started to go, should I trade this thing in? It's like two years old. Maybe. And then I started looking at the Honda website and looking at the features. Oh, this has, the 2017 model has this, but 2015 didn't. And 2017 has this, 2015 didn't. And then I'm driving my car, I'm like, starting to hate it, like, (laughs) if it were only 2017 Honda CR-V. And then I I really think it's God's mercy and grace, like, I went on Google and Google searched the image, and it looks stinking the same. What's wrong with me? (laughs) It looks the same. But because... I'm even remotely interested in this, you know, car. I know the nuances. And the world is all about saying, if you get that, you would have more joy in your life. And you start to over-desire. They become ultimate desires. They become a little bit more than just a means to, for our faithfulness, for our life. I really think it's the grace of God, because otherwise I would have found a way to persuade my wife to trade this sucker in. 
you notice what you love, and, or you love what you notice, you notice what you love. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of possessions, these cravings will never satisfy us. They'll leave us wanting more. And the dangerous part of it is that it always cuts God out of the picture. It says, if you would get a little bit more for your flesh, if you would look a little bit more with your eyes, if you could get a little bit more possessions, you would be happy. You would have more joy. And these are the systems of the world. These are the attitudes, the postures of the world. When John says, don't love the world. These things become idols. And please know that I'm not saying don't get nice stuff. I'm not saying these things are inherently evil. It's when we start to desire them excessively. We over-desire. And that only happens when we take a real look at ourselves. When we, even the, the, the religious practice of fasting is an opportunity to examine ourselves, put ourselves under the microscope. The reason we must not love the world is because it will never satisfy. It will not not only will it not satisfy us, it will drown out what will satisfy us. In the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, Jesus' own words, he's describing, he's explaining the parable, and this is what he says. <clears throat> this, the, seed, the, the seed that was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the wor- word, the word of God, but the cares of the word, world, sorry, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The world has potential to put the word into this submission hold and chokes the air out of it, chokes the power out of the word. And that's why it's so dangerous to love the world, to love the things of the world. Love of the world, love of the things of the world will never satisfy us. That's reason number one. Reason number two is that it will not last forever. The world will not last forever. Verse 17, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The systems, the practices, the attitudes of the world will not last forever. John is very clear about that. He says that these things will pass away Verse 17 even says that the cravings will pass away. You know that hunger that you feel right now if you haven't eaten breakfast? You won't experience that when we're reunited with Christ. There's an expiration date on these cravings. And John also shows us that pursuing the will of God, pursuing the will of God, is where we find eternal value. Our appropriate destiny is to do God's will and to be with him forever. And in a lot of ways, John is saying that's where we find joy. That's where we find more joy in our lives. So if that's the case, then it is of utmost importance what we love and what we satisfy ourselves with in this life. If we develop an appetite for things that will not last forever... We're going to get to Jesus face-to-face and be like, hey, where's my Honda CRV? These things will no longer exist. We'll be empty-handed. 
will feel unsatisfied. These things will pass away. But on the flip side, if we develop an appetite for things like doing the will of God, we can enjoy that for all of eternity. All of eternity. But for a lot of us, we're, you know, if we have been in the faith, we know these things, right? I'm sure if you've grown up in, in the church, you've heard, like, don't be worldly. Don't be worldly. You don't have to even be a follower of Jesus to know that the things of the world don't satisfy. It doesn't take long to look at the rich and the famous, the actors and actresses, the athletes who have a lot of stuff, who seem to be on top of the world, but they feel empty, they feel lonely. You see that they lack joy in their lives. So we have two reasons for not loving the world. It it will not ever satisfy, and it will not last forever. The question now is, all right, how do we stop loving the world if we do, and what's the alternative? There's uh, this sermon that got transposed to a book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, written by this Scottish pastor, um, Thomas Chalmers. And I'm going to read you this quote. The love of God and the love of the world are two affections, not merely in a state of rivalship, right? He's agreeing with 1 John and saying that these things can't, uh, you know, coexist, but in a state of enmity that is so irreconcilable that they cannot dwell together in the same bosom, in the same heart. And later on, he says, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new affection. A lot of times we think, I, I, okay, I can't be worldly. I'm going to give away all my stuff. But we don't substitute the object of our love with the appropriate object. And then we feel lost. Thomas Chalmers, Chalmers will also say, you leave the heart a wilderness if you don't put a new affection in your heart. Pointing out the emptiness of the world is, is important. That's what John does, even in this letter, but it's not enough. How do we stop loving the world? It's by loving something that is more powerful, more glorious, more beautiful, more eternal, and more desirable. And that's why we need good news. The gospel message is the message of salvation for all people, for all times. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even with worldliness, the good news is that we are invited away from the, the fleeting pleasures of the world and instead invited into forever pleasures of God. The gospel message is why we can have more joy. It's because we have joy in something that doesn't expire. The good news is that we're saved from slavery to things of the world, and we are saved to freedom, to hold fast to God and his eternal joy. So Jesus came not to just save us from sin, sinfulness, but he saved us. He came to save us to joy. And the reason why I think we can find greatest joy in God, right, through Jesus, is because love of the Father is so different than love of the world. In John 3.16, 
A lot of us know it. But that emphasis is mine. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Even as believers, when we look at this passage, it can't just be about, what do I get? It's actually to behold the God who is generous. The love of the Father gives. The love of the world takes. The love of the Father gives generously for the life of the other person. The love of the world takes and leaves you craving for more. Worldly love sees with the eyes and and craves and takes. God's love sees and gives. Bo uh, already mentioned this, but the leadership and pastoral staff uh, spent Friday night and most of Saturday at our annual spiritual retreat. Uh, And this is us. Um, Adam is missing, unfortunately. Um, But that right there, she's uh, a spiritual director from one of our sister churches in our denomination over in Cambridge, Cambridge Community Fellowship Church. And she led us through a weekend of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. No planning of ministry, no budgets, no agendas, but just caring for our souls. And in a lot of ways, we fasted from noise. We, we said, all right, the world demands of us. Our phones are always going off. There's something on our feed that we have to look at. And I don't know if anyone else did it, but I, I legitimately turned off my phone. We even ate lunch in silence. That was really painful for me. Um, just listening to everyone chew. <laughs> Things that you would not notice otherwise. And we withdrew from the normal noise, just filling it. And I dare you all to go out to lunch today and say, hey, let's do this in silence. And, and feel, feel that experience. Like, buy lunch, go to someone's place, no music, just eat. But there was something about that practice that made me more aware of what was going on at a higher level. There was no white noise. There was no just this like status quo attitude. It was a more perceptive place. I realized that that, that person and that person, they chewed differently, you know? Like, what the heck? And then, I, I mean, I was kind of immature. I didn't want to look up and start to laugh, but I, I just appreciated the people I was sitting around. And just so grateful for this team. I don't know about the pastors, but the LT, they're great people. Uh, the pastors, we get the privilege of getting a salary. We get to do ministry, and that's something that we don't take for granted. But the leadership team, they have their 9-to-5 jobs, and with their remaining time, their, their volunteer time, they love the church. And I thought about that and just said, thank you, God. There was something about our time together where we realized that being loved by God, being heard by Him and hearing Him and His promises in Scripture was much more satisfying than anything we could have filled our lives with. So 
This is my, I don't usually do this, but I want to give you a specific application. Every single person, if you're so just willing to do it, to try this. I want you to obey the explicit command, of, it's very clear, to not love the world. So first, if you haven't decided to, to fast from anything through Lent, consider it. Pray about it. Ask where God might want you to put some attention into your spiritual life. If you've already taken care of that, here's one thing I want you all to do. Fast from one thing, one thing in your life. And if you could look at even this passage, something uh, related to the desire of flesh, the desire of eyes, or pride in possessions, and just refrain, abstain for a short duration. Maybe it's 24 hours, maybe it's one week, maybe it's three days. But whatever's meaningful to you, fast, just short-term experiment. Uh, through this, I want it to be two, to have two, two components. First, take the power away from the world. So be intentionally uncomfortable. Maybe it's fasting a meal. Maybe it's not doing online shopping, window shopping. Maybe it's not checking your social media for 24 hours. Maybe it's giving up your Snapchat streak. Like, I heard that was a thing. Like, let it go. Give it to God. Be intentionally uncomfortable. And when you feel that itch to do it, to want it, the second component is to give or see the power of God's love. So take the power away from the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions, and instead say, God, you're more desirable than that. You're more glorious. You're more beautiful. You're more perfect than these things. You last forever. Being with you is what matters. When you feel that ache, whether it's hunger or that just you know, like in college, I might have shared this, but I was so accustomed to waking up, sitting on my computer, and typing F-A-C-E for Facebook. I, I wouldn't be able to open my eyes fully, and I would type it. I remember giving that up, like all extraneous internet uh, browsing, and I just sat there like, what do I do? And that's where you supplant the new affection. Seek to experience God's love and ask him. Read scripture. And maybe love the way he, he loves. Love by giving, not by wanting and taking. So Cornerstone, don't love the world. It will not satisfy you. I can guarantee you that. And it will not last forever. Either Jesus is going to come back or we're going we're gonna to die. So instead, enjoy God to the fullest and enjoy him now. Enjoy him often. Enjoy him fully to satisfy your needs. Because the thing that you do now to be satisfied in him, you can do forever, for the rest of eternity, not just this life. Giving up the things of the world, even though it's hard, it's worth it if it means you gain Jesus. So I'm, I'm going to ask that you all close your eyes. I'm going to read just a personal message um, that one pastor wrote to a friend just listen to it, reflect on it, and then I'll pray for us and we'll close out our worship through this, the singing of more songs. This is a, a, another pastor, Robert Murray McShane. He's writing to a friend. 
Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace. And it's all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let your soul be filled with a a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you're committed to our joy even more than we are. Even when we seek joy in other places, we seek joy from the world, we love the world, we love the things of the world, you don't look on us with anger. You love on us with mercy. You love on us, or you look at us with grace. And your desire is for us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Your desire is to see us realize how satisfying you are. So for some of us, God, we pray, if necessary, a prayer of repentance in the ways that we might be loving the world more than we should, that we've fed the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of possessions in a way that this pleases you. We want to repent. We want to turn away from that and instead turn to the heart-ravishing sense of sweetness and excellency in Jesus. We want to know how good it is to trust you, to believe in you, to even in the midst of difficulty in our lives, that it is worth it to give up the world to gain Jesus. So God, as we continue in this Lenten season, as we continue to just seek out greater joy, we pray that our love would start to to look like your love. Not a love that takes, not a love that craves and craves and craves, but a love that gives and is satisfied, that gives again and is satisfied, and that we will lack nothing not only in your eyes, but also in our own. So we trust you so much to do the heart transformation that's necessary, that we would indeed know firsthand experience how good it is to follow Jesus. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.